Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 116 of the Box Hard Podcast. This podcast will just feature, really, a couple of things. There's not any fights to go over. There's no review part. There's no preview part. It's just simply going to be a few little topics that we've asked our listeners on Twitter, our followers on Twitter, to kind of engage in, and there's a few things that we're just going to bring up. So it shouldn't really be a long show. It shouldn't be too much talking from myself and I as anyway. But um, I think last week we did a little bit of... a little bit of a rambling session we were talking for a little bit too long it's not going to be like that this week it's going to be a lot shorter so apologies for that but what I will say actually is last week's show has been the most viewed podcast we've done to date so really really pleased with our new um, our new listeners by the way so um, like I say keep up the views please it means a lot and of course, I'm joined, I should have introduced him a few seconds ago, but I'm joined by my partner in crime, Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Right, let's jump straight into part one. This part, like I said, we're going to be talking about a few different topics. We're going to start with the craziest moment of the year. The craziest moment of the year, obviously, 2017. We're now um, a couple of days in, or four days in, I should say, to be precise, to the new year. Yeah, so let's talk about the craziest moments, Ayaz, that we can remember from 2017. We're not going to spend too long on this, like I say. Again, it's just really a topic to talk about because there's not much else going on. Um, so yeah, some of the craziest moments that we've had sent in, obviously we've we've had the Leon Lawson um, situation in which Andre Durrell's uncle jumped in the ring and hit Jose Uzcata guy, um, you know, with, with a bit of a sucker punch why he wasn't ready and then somehow managed to escape and, you know, the, there was a manhunt for him, the police were on to him. That one was sent in by the Manasseh Mullah, a uh, long-time supporter of the show, so shout out to him. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a absolutely moronic moment there eyes wasn't it when i first saw the video it was mad uh police are investigating i think this rematch will happen and i think um andre Durrell may still win the fight yeah i mean it was a strange way the way it ended and it's funny you should just say that eyes about a rematch they've actually just made the rematch i think it's maybe happening on the deontay wilder undercard sometime in march if i'm not mistaken so yeah i'm pleased for uzkata guy hopefully he can he can get the win which i think he was probably gonna get um you know but yeah it is what it is a bit of a mad moment that one also uh valley legend has sent in this one this is again one of uh one of our top top listeners real nice guy Danny he sent in craziest moment Billy Joe Saunders son kicking or hitting I should say Willie Monroe Jr. in the willy do you remember that one eyes that was that was we talked about it at the time but that one was real bad man real unprofessional stuff there that was in my opinion was really really bad Billy Joe Saunders son shouldn't have done that that caused a lot of controversy and afterwards we saw Billy Joe's son apologize but I think that should not have happened yeah, it put Willie Monroe in a difficult situation. You know, I don't know if it was part of the mind games, but yeah, it was. It was. It was stupid. That I, I didn't really like that. Um, one of the most craziest moments of of the year for me, I as, and I'm going to come to you in just a moment. So put your thinking cap on. For me, 
and some people have forgotten about this and I've heard other you know other podcasts discussing the craziest moments of 2017 but for me people keep forgetting about that that absolute shocker that Vic Draculic had in the Rogondo fight okay I know that the listeners now are thinking oh yeah I forgot about that one believe me the way Vic Draculic lost control of that fight was insane remember when Rogondo hit the guy and was it after the bell and it was all mad and um you know, nobody knew who won. Either team was celebrating. Vic Draculic got out of the ring, tried to cover up his microphone, but we could all still hear every word he was saying. Um, you know, Robert Bird had to come over and try and help Vic Draculic with his ring experience, and it was just absolutely diabolical. It really was. I mean, nobody knew what was going on, and Rigondo ended up winning the fight, I think. I think it should have been a no contest. It was mad. It was absolutely mad, but yeah, that one's gone under the radar. People forgot about that. That one for me was was just insane what about you as have you got any any crazy moments of 2017 when Gennady Golovkin fought Saul Canelo Alvarez the judging Golovkin in my opinion won that fight when she when the judge scored it 118 110 I was like I was really really shocked I personally think that Golovkin won that fight and I think he got robbed because of that score 118 110 I don't know what they were watching yeah, that, that, that of course, um, you, you're talking about there, is Robert Bird's wife, which is Adelaide Bird, obviously, you know, quite notable now for turning in many questionable scorecards. But yeah, for me, I think, above all, and, and probably because not many other people have remembered it, it's the Rigondo one. That one was just insane. Um, moving on to our next topic, and to be honest, I think I'm going to squeeze this one in as well. There was something that I saw the other day on Twitter, and I know that nobody saw this, because I think he's took the tweet down, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm just trying to find it now. It was something that Lawrence O'Coley tweeted. Um, I'm just trying to find it now. Hang on. Give me just a second here. Yeah, here it is. And he tweeted this. Oh, it actually was just in the new year. It was... It was um, it was just in the new year, so it's not actually from 2017. But there's this young kid who... Well, I say he's a young kid. I don't really know how old he is. He's younger than me for sure. But anyway, he tweeted Lawrence Coley two selfies of them two. So, you know, Lawrence Coley's got his arm around him in one photo and the other. And the kid says to him, Looking forward to your fight, champ. I've got you knocking him out. Fourth round. Good luck and a happy new year. At Lawrence TKO. So Lawrence Coley, who replied at... 6.42 in the morning into the new year, who I'm going to guess probably had a bit of a mad night. You know, maybe he hadn't even been asleep yet. I don't know what he was doing. But he replies, and he tried to say, if you can catch me for a third picture, I'll think of a present for you. But he absolutely butchered what he tried to say. So he's put, he's put if can catch, and instead of me, he's put MW, moi, for a third pick, I'll at think of a present for you. And I just thought, what the hell is that supposed to mean? It took me a few moments to think, you know, to, to finally realise what he tried to say. And I saw that straight away. As soon as I saw it, I had to screenshot it. Um, yeah, that was that was quite mad from, from Lawrence Coley. Obviously had one too many on, on New Year's Eve. Um, moving on to our next topic now, just before we bring in guest number one, we're just going to talk briefly about um, prospects of the year, Ayaz. 
2017, obviously, you know, there's there's prospects that have been prospects for quite a while who, you know, we've 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 known about them for a longer time than some of the other prospects who are coming through, mainly the Olympians, you know, just some of them two, three, four, five, six and oh. Um, you know, they've just kind of emerged in terms of the pro ranks. And those guys are obviously, you know, worth a mention, but let's just talk about some of the prospects of the year I as I'm gonna to come to you in just a sec, like I say, but some of the ones that we got sent in um, you know, some people were saying, and I like this, this one came from, from at Valley Legend, once again, good, um, good loyal listener here, he sends in Josh Kelly, I totally agree with that, um, you know, Josh Kelly's obviously someone we're all excited about, I as, he's also sent in Daniel Dubois, another one which, you know, I'm really, really excited about, he sent in Archie Sharp, which just goes to show that he has listened to my praise of Archie Sharp, I doubt he's seen too much of him, he might have seen him a couple times on TV, but it's been very, very hard to find footage of Archie Sharp, but Archie Sharp is the real deal and he gets an honourable mention from me also. I'm not saying that he's been the best prospect of 2017 or anywhere near but I am saying that guy has got a lot of tools a lot of a lot of skills and I really am excited for his future and Valley Legend has also sent in Michael Conlon. Obviously we knew about Michael Conlon for quite a while. We saw his you know his, his joke of a, of, of a decision go against him if you like. The, um, the thing that he was involved in mainly over in Rio um, as a pro, he's, he's been quite impressive, to be honest, Ayers. I think uh, Michael Conlon's only gone the distance once. If I'm not if if I'm not going to check, I think that's I think that's what I've got written down in my head. Michael Conlon's only gone the distance once. He's fought, you know, he's fought a couple guys of decent-ish level. Obviously, he's only had the few fights, but yeah, he's definitely one that I've got my eyes on. Um, for me, though, I'm going to go international here. I'm going to go international. I'm going to I'm going to call out a couple names that I think only the hardcores will know. So, firstly, I'm gonna I'm gonna start in Britain. Firstly, firstly, I'm going to go international in a minute. But I've got three that I want to share with the listeners here. Josh Taylor, if he's to be considered a prospect still, or has he kind of projected himself onto the next? you know, the next level, I'm not quite sure, if he is still a prospect, because I suppose he is in some ways, and in some others, maybe he's not, but for me, Josh Taylor, one of the best prospects in the world, if not the most promising prospect in the world, and the two others, I'm going international for these, Devin Haney, we've been calling him out, you know, on this show, whenever he fights, we always call him out and call his fights out, he is a real, real future star, I believe, obviously there's rumours going around that he... I'm not sure if he dropped Javante Davis in sparring or he knocked him spark out, but that's a big rumour. Devin Haney's only about 18 or 19 years old. He's got a very padded record at the moment, I'm going to be honest. But, you know, apparently in, in, in sparring in the Mayweather gym, he's been really impressive. And, you know, some of the things that I have seen, some of the little clips that I have seen of him as a pro, he looks really, really good. And also another one here, Regis Progray, another guy that's really impressed me. He's kind of, um, I think he may even now be world ranked. I think I could be mistaken, but Regis Progre is a guy that's on the up and a guy that's knocking people out. And he actually had a fight against Diaz Jr. Um, a few months back, and both guys were undefeated. And Regis Progre absolutely knocked the daylights out of Diaz Jr. Actually, I think he knocked him down about three or four times in two rounds and stopped him in two. This guy had never been stopped. He was about 23 and 0. So Regis Progre, he's got a lot of knockouts, and I, I think he's a 140 fighter as well. So him and Josh Taylor in a few years, oh boy, oh boy, really, really gets my mouth watered to be honest. Um, 
Ayaz, what are some of the prospects of 2017 for you? Who's impressed you this, or I say this year, last year now? Um, well, my prospects of 2017 is Ryan Garner, personally. He's from Southampton, signed by Frank Warren. He's got, he's got, he's had five fights, four knockouts, and I personally think he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna go on to go really big. He's my, um, in my opinion, I think he'll do really good. Second, I'm gonna go with um, Michael Conlon because I think he's another prospect. And I think he's been in, he's been brought up really really well. And finally, in my opinion, I'm gonna uh, it has to be Shakur Stevenson. I think he's I think he's tremendous, and I think he'll be a really good fight in the future. Yeah, I mean he's been criticised a little bit, you know, perhaps for not getting the knockout. I mean we had him on the show a few weeks ago, and he said to me that he, you know, in that in that fight there that he shared a bill with Michael Conlon again, and he went out to make a statement. And funny enough, it was the first time I think he got a knockout, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was the first time he got a knockout, or maybe the second time he got a knockout as a pro. And Michael Conlon, funny enough, because they're comparing the two so much, he actually went the distance for the first time. So a little bit of a fun fact there. Um, is there anybody else that we might have forgot? I mean, Anthony Yard, obviously, but I don't know if I can call him a prospect now. He's ranked like 4th or 5th in the WBO. Obviously, you've got Umar Sadiq. I think he's definitely one to look out for. Again, we're going we're going very British on this now because some of the guys that are coming up in, in the United States, you know, these guys that are 2-0, 3-0, I'm not... I'm not really too too you know too knowledgeable about these guys, but also one that I really like the look of a guy called Hamza Shiraz. He's also with Frank Warren. Um, he impressed me, even though he you know I've only seen him fight once. I think he's only had one fight. It was his debut. Just I, I don't know. I've seen loads of guys make their debuts many 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 times, and you know they all seem a little bit cagey, a little bit nervous. I don't want to say cagey actually. I take that back. A little bit desperate. A little bit. Um, What's the word? Like, you know, they're trying to rush their work. They're trying to they're trying to get the knockout real quick. I'll give Harley Ben as a great example. His first fight, you know, he was terrible in that first fight because he just wanted to get it over with straight away. So, you know, Hamza Shiraz, and I think they're even from the same gym maybe. Well, Hamza Shiraz put a real good shift in. And he had a good crowd there and they were all shouting for him and all that. And I tell you what, he... You know, he kept his composure, he switched off the crowd, and he really, really impressed me. Really showed me a lot in that fight. So, I really like the look of him. Um, like I say, all of Matchroom's guys, really, all those guys coming through, like Cordina and Buatzi and the rest of them. But, yeah, there's, there's so much to look forward to. There really is. And I'm sure that other nations have got many, many talented fighters that are 2-0, 3-0, and that haven't broke through yet that we may have not heard of. And I'm sure that they've got, you know, a lot to offer as well. But just looking at the, you know, the guys that are just now 3-0, and 4-0 and and the rest, they're, they're really, really impressing me. And um, I think that we've got a, a phenomenal future in the sport of boxing. I think that we're doing really well at the moment. Well... At this very moment, not so great, but last year, the year before, we were really flying in Britain, and I think that that could happen again, you know, when these guys step up the level and they've got a bit more experience under their belts, so really exciting times. Right, that's it for the discussions there. It's now time, just before we end part one, to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the new IBF super middleweight champion of the world, Mr. Caleb Truax. Caleb, welcome to the show. Thank you, man. Good to uh, good to be with you. Hey, it's my pleasure, sir. So, first question for you, Caleb. I just um, I just announced you there as a reigning world champion. Has it sunk in yet? <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think it has, man. I uh, I'm not gonna ever get used to uh, hearing that. I don't think, but uh, but uh, I like it. I tell you that much. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, the fight itself, I was sat there ringside when you dethroned James DeGale on December the 9th in London. How would you sum that fight up, Caleb? Uh, it, uh, it was probably the best the best uh, night of my life in the ring. I, I, uh, I was able to execute my game plan uh, and everything just clicked. And that's many times uh, that happens when, when the, the first game plan just clicks and, and you don't really have to make too many adjustments. As far as uh, your plan goes, uh, everything just worked, man. I, I was able to negate the stuff that he was trying to do, and I was able to, to uh, do the things that I wanted to do to a T, and, and uh, everything was working. And, and obviously, uh, the result uh, went in my favor, and, and uh, the judges got it right. And I'm a happy man. <laughs> And did James DeGale's performance surprise you at all? A lot of people believe that he didn't look himself. However, obviously, you'd studied him harder than we had going into that fight. Did he surprise you with the way he fought on the night? Uh, no, it didn't surprise me. I, I, I think he, I, I suppose he, he backed up a little bit easier than I thought. Uh, he didn't offer as much resistance as I thought he would. Um, but uh, I knew the type of fighter he was, and I knew that uh, I couldn't, I'll box him in the middle of the ring because he had a, you know, he's a classy boxer and, and he's got a lot of skill and he had a little bit of range on me. So I wanted to push him backwards and, and uh, I was able to do that right from the, the opening bell. And um, I just, uh, once once the round started piling up and I started getting uh, the punches to the target, uh, I just started rolling. And I think like the third round is when uh, I really started picking things up. And uh, after that, it was, uh, it was uh, just like walking downhill for me. I agree 100% with what you say there, even down to the round. Um, you know, obviously, we all know James had chosen you out of the top 15 for what he thought would be an easy defense because he hadn't fought in London also since winning the title. It was supposed to be like an easy homecoming for him, which went horribly wrong, of course. You upset the odds. But a lot of people, including myself, before that fight, I actually had James DeGaulle as the best fighter at super middleweight. Did you also believe he was the best fighter at 168? Um, I thought he was, I thought he was up there for sure. I, I didn't know. I, I don't know if, uh, you know, I never had sat down and looked at all of them together and, and ranked them all. But, um, I thought, uh, I thought he was up there. One of the best for sure. Uh, I had seen him fight, um, many times in the past. I saw him fight, uh, Jack. I saw him fight, uh, Durrell, Butte, uh, Medina. Uh, so I was familiar with him. You know, even before I was offered a fight with him, uh, but uh, I, I knew he was a great fighter. He's an Olympic champion, uh, 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 great amateur pedigree, and and uh, I knew I had my hands full, uh, and I knew I had to be at my best in order to beat him. So um, I, I definitely would have ranked him uh, uh, right up there with the best. Still, he's still one of the best, you know. But um, uh, on the ninth, it was my night, and and uh, I, I got the better of him. And after the fight, you did an interview in the ring. You said that you're not as good of a boxer as James DeGaulle and that you had to turn it into a dogfight in order to win, which was extremely modest of yourself after almost, on my card anyway, I almost had it a shutout. I think the official scorecards were way too close. The ringside media were furious with the judge that had it a draw. That was a joke, in my opinion. How many times have you managed to watch the fight back, Caleb, and how does it feel now to be a world champion? Um, I, I've watched it a few times. Uh, I watched it the night of, uh, just kind of still in shock. Like, <laughs> uh, wanted to watch it back and see how things went. Uh, and I've watched it uh, since then. I think once or twice. But um, 
it uh it's like i said before man it's still it still hasn't set in i don't think i i uh you know I, obviously it's every fighter's dream to be a world champion and and i realized that dream in that fight and and uh maybe it won't set in i don't know <laughs> hopefully it does and uh and i can uh, keep it moving and defend it and and uh defend it a few times and then uh see what happens and there were rumours after the fight that there wasn't a rematch clause, but since then I've heard that there is a rematch clause. Are you able to clear up that misunderstanding at all? Uh, I think there's something in the contract that uh, that that um, stipulates uh, a rematch or some kind of language in the contract that says there's a rematch, but it's not like a typical clause. You know, like a lot of times uh, the terms for the second fight are, are set forth in that original contract, and there wasn't anything like that. But I think there was something. That, uh, that that stipulated that we would fight again, and uh, there's been talks uh, of a rematch. I guess Gail wants it, and I'm 100% open to it. So uh, uh, hopefully we we find out here in the next week or so uh, what's next for me and and uh, where it's going to be and, and when it's going to be, and, and uh, then I'll start get back to training. Yeah, that was my next question. I was going to ask, you know, do you believe that the rematch clause will be exercised? And and also, I'm going to tie this into kind of two questions in one. Would you rather fight Degau again rather than anybody else at the moment? Yeah, yeah. From what I've heard, he, he wants the rematch, um, you know, which is understandable. I mean, I, I would want it too if I had just lost my title and uh, had a chance to go get it back uh, from the man who took it. But uh I'm 100% open to it, man. I, I beat him the first time. I, I don't think there's anything that's going to change in the second fight. So um, I'm, I'm 100% open to, uh, to a rematch if, if, uh, if that's what, what uh, is next for me. Um, like I said, we'll have to wait and see what, uh, what Al Heyman has in store and, and uh, what my promoters, second out, and, and Warriors uh, have in store. Hopefully it's, uh, hopefully it's here in Minnesota, um, in the States, uh, right at home for me. But... I'm 100% willing to, to go back to the UK as well. So uh, wherever wherever needs to be done to uh, to make it happen, that's fine with me. And you mentioned there about about being in the UK and possibly coming back over, um, you know, for, for the rematch. When you were over here, Caleb, how were you treated by the UK fans and just the people as a whole during your visit to the UK? Better or worse than you originally expected it'd be? Oh, much better, man. I I had never fought overseas before, so I didn't know, you know, what the uh, what the uh, atmosphere was going to be like. Um, I didn't know if the crowd was going to be, uh, you know, hostile or the people were going to not show me love or whatever. Just because I know the the UK fans get pretty crazy and it's pretty rowdy in the, the arenas for boxing and they take their boxing really seriously. Um, but no, it was it was awesome, man. Everybody was really really respectful before and after the fight. Um, you can tell that. Even though they cheer for their guy, uh, the British fans cheer for their British guys. Uh, they they respect a good fight and respect uh, the sport. So everybody was was uh, awesome, taking pictures before and after the fight, and and everybody was congratulating me at the bar afterwards. So it was uh, it was it was a great experience. I, I can't wait to, to come back. Excellent, excellent. And I just want to ask you also: Did you take any time off over Christmas with your family? Are you back in the gym now? Um, you know, what's what's the situation there? Um, actually, uh, the, the good thing about this fight is I, I wasn't banged up at all, man. I, I didn't have any bumps or bruises or injuries or anything, so I was able to get right back in the gym. Um, well, I, I stayed, I stayed in London for three days uh, longer than I normally would have, so I, I didn't get home till Wednesday, the week after the fight. 
Um, so we, me and my trainer stayed and had a look around town and, and got to uh, uh, check out some of the sites. And as soon as I got back, I was able to, to get right back in the gym and just work out light. You know, I've been working out light since then, just doing some strength training and, and uh, uh, some shadow boxing and, and skipping rope in the, in the boxing gym. But nothing crazy, no, no sparring or anything like that yet until I get a, a date, um, uh, what, what's possible for the next fight. So uh, I, I'm, I'm going to stay working out and stay in shape and keep my weight down, but uh, nothing, too, nothing too crazy. I'm coming down to the last couple of questions now, Caleb. Um, I know that you said that you're going to probably know, you know, within a, within the next week or so. But have you got any kind of um, um, idea at all when you'll next be fighting? If it will be James, has there been a month mentioned or a period of time mentioned at all? Yeah, uh, I think I think it. Uh, from what I heard, it was going to be like the end of March or the start of April, which is coming up pretty soon. So that's why I'd like to uh, uh, get a get a date ironed out and, a, and an opponent ironed out as soon as possible um and also i think the ibf if that weren't to, if that rematch weren't to happen i think the ibf um would uh make me fight a mandatory uh defense or something like that um and that would be a little bit later than than april so uh i, I hope to fight uh, i hope to fight in april march april may somewhere around there Okay, excellent. And I like to ask this question to everybody that we speak to from overseas, Caleb. Who is your favorite UK fighter? The fans like to know this. Who's your favorite UK fighter? It can be from any era. It can be somebody still boxing now. It can be somebody who's retired years ago. Uh man. There's uh, there's a few of them. I, I was a, a huge Lennox Lewis fan when, when I was uh, um, when I was a younger kid. My my buddy's best uh, my best friend his uh, his guy was Evander Holyfield and my guy was Lennox Lewis, so we'd always watch the the uh, big heavyweight fights and, and cheer our guys on. Um, I loved uh, Joe Calzaghe was an awesome fighter, uh, very very underrated. I thought um, Ricky Hatton was was uh, fun to watch, and he was like a people's champ, so I can respect that. Um, let's see. The the only one that you've missed out is Prince Nassim. Everybody says Prince Nassim. Oh, yeah, I love, I love Prince, man. I love Prince. He's his crazy aunt. The ring now is fun to watch. Um, right now, that kid, uh, I, I watched, uh, I had seen some videos of him, and I, and I watched uh, uh, one of his fights against uh, Miguel Vasquez. Uh, that's long ago. What's it? Is it uh, Taylor? Josh uh, Taylor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks like a classy boxer, man. I'm, I'm excited to see uh, what, uh, what the future holds for him. I think he's at 140. Is that correct? Yes. 147. Right, yeah. 147. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he looked. Uh, against uh, against Miguel Vasquez, and I don't think anybody has ever stopped Vasquez before. So um, he, uh, he he's pretty pretty classy fighter. Um, oh, for sure. Well, super no, middle, all the super middle. <laughs> yeah, all the super middleweights. Uh, middle are pretty good, man. I uh, I can't I can't give them too much love because I might have to fight them pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, finally, the final thing I've got for you now, Caleb, just a message really to to any of your new UK fans. I don't I don't suppose you probably had too many before December 9th, but now you certainly have got droves of them. What's your message to those guys? Yeah, exactly right. I, uh, I think I have more my British Twitter followers than I do uh, American now. <laughs> but uh, uh, thank you for all the support, man. I, you guys embraced me when I came over there, and, and uh, I really, really appreciate the, uh, the love and support you've shown, and, and uh, uh, just uh, look out for what's next for me, and, and uh, I hope to be back over there uh, shortly to, to fight. 
you know, if, if the opportunity presents itself, I, I'd love to come back to the UK and, and fight in front of you guys again. Okay, listen, Caleb, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for your time. Once again, congratulations on achieving your goal as a boxer. I respect the way that you did it, and I sincerely hope that 2018 goes even better for you than 2017 did. That's going to be top to top, but uh, I'm, I'm up for it, man. I, uh, I appreciate it, and thanks for having me on. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part is usually the preview part. Um, there's nothing to preview, as I said earlier, but Ayaz has got one little topic to bring up, one little piece of news. Take it away, Ayaz. Uh, Horan Davis has been pulled off the February 3rd card by Eddie Hearn after his comments on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, due to some comments that he made, and I don't really know if I've seen all of them, but, you know, he just to give a brief backstory, he said something about, you know, giving once he beats Tommy Coyle, he's gonna he's gonna give the Sun newspaper their first. You know, that's gonna be the first interview he does, knowing that Tommy Coyle has somewhat got himself tangled up with the Sun over something. I'm not quite sure what it is. Obviously, Tommy Coyle from Hull, and I know that it's been linked and wrapped in with um with the uh, you know the the disaster that happened in Liverpool all those years ago, the um, the Hillsborough. The Hillsborough disaster. So, I don't know too much about the Hillsborough disaster because it happened before I was born, you know. So, obviously, being from London, it's it's not really something that I don't know. I don't want to say bothers me because that's the wrong word, but it doesn't really affect me. And I'm very thick-skinned about stuff, so maybe that's just me. But the comments that he made, obviously, they can be offensive to people that were, you know, involved or perhaps from the area or have got family members that you know, that lost their lives in that day or whatever it was. But, yeah, he said something he shouldn't have said. But, you know, O'Hara's around about the same age as me, and I don't really think he knew the extent of what he said. I'm not saying that he was right for saying it. He was 100% wrong for saying it. But I don't really think he meant what he said. And, again, the people get the wrong impression of O'Hara Davis. He's been on this show a few times. He's a really, really, really nice guy. But when the cameras are on, he puts on a fake persona, and that's it. And everybody knows that. I mean... He's not really the idiot that some people think he is. And he's actually very clever. He's actually a guy that... And and saying he's very clever, I suppose, doesn't really help him out in this situation. But he's actually a guy that really studies boxing well. He really knows his stuff, O'Hara Davis. And people have really got him all wrong. Um, He shouldn't have said what he said. But let's be honest, the backlash that's come with it... I, I almost feel a tiny, tiny bit sorry for him now. Because, like I say, at heart, he's a good guy. And now Eddie Hearn's dropped him from this bill. Um, his trainer, Tony Sims, has dropped him. His manager, which is Charlie Sims, the uh, the former Towie um, star, he's dropped him. And now O'Hara is going to have to find a new trainer. And it's a bit unclear what's happening with Eddie Hearn. I'd like to see an interview with him and you know see what's really going on there. Are they going to ditch O'Hara Davies now? Because I think that... And I'm going to be honest. like I don't want to be... I don't want to be too controversial or get involved in anything here, but I don't think that Matchroom have really tried hard to kind of stop O'Hara Davis from saying these things, you know? Like, I've been, and I'm going to give a little exclusive now, I've been near Eddie Hearn at, you know, at a, a weigh-in, and I've I've seen Eddie Hearn say to O'Hara Davies, like, quietly, like, go on, like, tell the crowd easy work, and all the crowd are there, and he's going, easy work, you know? So, some of it's a little bit, I don't know, like they've kind of 
pushed him to be this villain, to be this bad guy. And it can sell, it can sell. But, you know, losing to to Josh Taylor in the fashion that he did hasn't helped him. That's, I suppose, his own fault, really. Josh Taylor was, you know, a far more superior boxer that night. But, I don't know. All of a sudden, it seems like everybody's kind of just stabbed him. And I don't want to say stabbed him in the back, but, yeah, a little bit stabbed him in the back. They were all together riding on this dangerous and controversial wave of O'Hara Davies. And now, they've kind of took a step back and just let him, you know, let him ride the wave, that you know, on his own. And I, I kind of feel that's a bit bad. I can, however, see... Frank Warren trying to swoop him in because I know that O'Hara Davies I'm not sure if they're still very close but he was extremely close with Anthony Yard and I can imagine Frank Warren you know he'd be delighted to steal one of um, one of Eddie Hearn's fighters I'm sure and also uh, Frank Warren likes a bit of controversy. Obviously, we saw, you know, he signed Prince Patel pretty much on the back of his IFL London interview, let's be honest. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that that I wouldn't rule that one out. That's what I will say. But, yeah, enough said on that one. I don't really want to go into it too much. At the end of the day, I don't agree with what he said. I just think he, he didn't really mean it. I think maybe some of it got took out of context a little bit. And, you know, he certainly got really, really punished and penalised for it now. I mean... You know, I don't think he deserves any more, really. He said he's sorry a million times also. Um, I suppose that doesn't really take back the words he said. It's too late for that, but it is what it is. Um, We're now going to talk just a little bit about Tyson Fury's return opponent. And this is a tricky one, because obviously, you know... Tyson Fury himself, at one point, he said he's ready to start, you know to jump straight back in with Anthony Joshua in his first fight back, and then he said it's unrealistic, and then he said it's not, and then he said it's unrealistic. So we're not quite sure, you know, where he is with that and how good he's going to be when he does come back. And we've got to be quite sensible in who we put him in there with in this um, this little fantasy fantasy uh, clip, I suppose that we're going to do now, a little fantasy segment here where we're going to talk about his next fight, who it should. Should be obviously we want to see him in there against somebody of some kind of note because he needs to get a couple of good wins before he takes on the likes of Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder. So we've asked the people on Twitter and we're going to discuss these as one by one. And somebody sent in this one. This one was from at DJMW. Um, they've sent in. They believe that he should fight somebody like Manuel Char or Takam. It'd be good to see where Tyson Fury's at. And obviously. Um, you know, those those two guys there. Firstly, Manuel Char, I mean, he's just won the WBA regular heavyweight title, so I'm not sure if he'd be able to fight him straight away, Tyson Fury. I don't think he'd be... Well, he wouldn't be ranked, so I don't think they could get that one done. But then again, the WBA sometimes can be a little bit controversial themselves. But I quite like the Takam fight. I mean, I know that after the Takam fight, they were together in... in um, in Monte Carlo, Carlos Takam and Tyson Fury, but I think that would be quite a good fight because he would probably, well, I don't know if he'd get him out of there. There's two ways to look at it. If he could get him out of there quicker than Joshua, then obviously it would be really, really impressive and it would get more people to you know, to buy into this mega fight between Joshua and, and Tyson Fury if he can do a better job than what Joshua did. Also, I believe Tyson Fury would just box at range and you know risk nothing against Takam. And Takam, give him his dues as well. He's a tough, 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 rugged fighter. So I don't think that Fury would have the snap to stop him. He could bust him up quite a bit, but you know I think that Tyson Fury would probably just box his head off and win win 
pretty much every round over 12 rounds and if it was a bit boring then it takes a little bit of you know a little bit um away from that Joshua and Fury fight so I like I like those kind of fights when you chuck him in there against somebody who you know who the other fighters just recently fought but it kind of works out most of the time when when there's a big puncher who's fighting in the second fight so if Fury was some kind of one punch knockout artist maybe like a Daniel Dubois then I'd say yeah I'm all for that you know he can he could probably knock him out quicker than Joshua did but Fury I don't think he could do that he could put a real impressive boxing lesson on but some people especially the casual fan they don't really like boxing lessons they just like knockouts so yeah I like that one I really do like that one by the way what's your thoughts on that one Ayers do you agree with me there anything to add Fury versus Takam is a very good fight obviously it's a comeback fight for Fury um, obviously we've seen Takam fight uh, Joshua in his last fight but obviously it's a t- um, warm up fight so I reckon it'll be good but the fight I'd like to see is against Shannon Briggs yeah um, that brings me on to the, to the next person that sent in a tweet this one's from at MTOAFC this is from Michael Taylor and he says Briggs in my opinion it's an easy fight for him and the press conferences would be interesting I think that interesting is a little bit of an understatement I think the press conferences would be absolutely comedy gold but um, obviously Briggs has been caught up in this whole, this whole, you know, doping thing. He's been caught up for, for you know, for having the wrong, um, the wrong, you know, levels of whatever in his, in his system. Can't remember what it was now, but yeah, he's been busted for, for doing some kind of drugs and I don't really know where he is with that. It's all a bit confusing. Um, you know, he, he, he came over here and he really wanted, I believe one last kind of, big payday to sail off into the sunset with he came over he did all the right things against David Hay turned up in his gym turned up you know at, at various different media things he pulled his hair he got in his face he he fought on his undercard and knocked a guy out in 10 seconds you couldn't have done anything more he ticked every single box Shannon Briggs but he didn't get the Hay fight because from my understanding David Hay said to him okay here's the money it's going to be on Dave and Briggs said, I'm not fighting for those, you know, for for those peanuts there. I want big money for this fight. It's a risky fight. And Hay then said, okay, well, that money can only be generated on pay-per-view. He then took that to Sky and said to them, yeah, you know, can this fight be made pay-per-view? And they said no. And I don't blame them for doing that. I give them credit for doing that. But it's funny because back then, Box Nation didn't have a pay-per-view platform. And if they did, I can imagine Frank Warren chucking somebody on the undercard you know, really beefing up the undercard, whether it was Liam Smith in a world title defence back then. Um, you know, back then he wasn't linked up with Lee Selby or James DeGal, but he could have thrown them on if it was to happen now. And he could have really turned it into a pay-per-view card. But unfortunately, since then, Briggs has failed a drugs test. David Hayes lost to Tony Bellew. And it's just, you know, it's it's been a, a real torrid year for David Hay. But anyway, enough about David Hay. Shannon Briggs... Um, it's, it's, it's a hard fight because Shannon Briggs is very, very dangerous for the first two or three rounds, in my opinion. He's a huge, huge, huge puncher. And I don't think, star-wise, he would... 
I don't know if, if that would be an easy fight for Tyson Fury. Because Tyson Fury, it remembers coming off a big layoff. He ballooned up in weight. Briggs is obviously older. He's used to these long layoffs. And he comes back and looks quite good, Briggs. Whether he's got anything he shouldn't have in his system or not, he does look good. So, for me, that's quite a dangerous fight. He is the top, top member of the Who Needs Him Club, Shannon Briggs. Because he can knock people out in, in one or two rounds. And even against David Hay, that was always the scare. If if he, if he lands on David Hay in the first one or two rounds, you know, it could be it could really be tearing up David Hay's plans of fighting the likes of Anthony Joshua for big money at Wembley. Um, so yeah, I like the Briggs fight. I, I would love it if if they just linked together and did a few press conferences. That would do it for me. But the fight itself, I think, is quite a risky one. Um, but like I say, thanks for sending that one in. Um, also, we've been sent in Christian Hammer. Uh, this one's from at 26R Jono. This is from Ryan Johnson. He says, I think Christian Hammer would be a good comeback fight. People know who he is and can compare how Tyson Fury does in the fight against his fights with Price and Povetkin. Obviously, um, Christian Hammer losing recently to Povetkin in a fight where he looked absolutely terrible. And he knocked out David Price, of course, early on in 2017, I think it was. So um, there's that there. Obviously, Christian Hammer fought Tyson Fury as well. And, um, you know, I pointed that out to Ryan Johnson. He came back and said, yeah, that's another reason why the fight could happen if he can stop him earlier than before. Um, I think it's a good shout. I mean, just because I saw the fight the first time and he absolutely played with Hammer, I don't really think that I'd... I'd be too excited to see it again. I think Hammer's probably got a tad better, but I don't see... I mean, the fight was so one-sided the first time that I'm not sure that I would be that interested in it. I think he'd probably win just the same, and it would just be probably, you know, maybe a late stoppage, maybe a points win again, you know? So, I don't know. It's it's difficult, that one. I, I, I don't know. I'm not too sure on that one. Also, this one was sent in from at... N underscore, I think that's, I think that's Moose maybe, I could be wrong, but this one's from Nathan anyway, apologies if I pronounce that wrong, he sends in David Price, simple, um, I like that fight, I mean I've liked it from day one, obviously, I think Price, you know, he's, he's, his better days never lasted long and they're, they're very much behind him now, but he is always dangerous, you know, he is always dangerous, he holds a win in the amateurs over Tyson Fury, and, um, Price, again, he's a little bit in the Who Needs Him club. He doesn't have a big backing. I know that he's now with MGM Marbella, if I'm not mistaken, but there's no real money there to fight Price. And, you know, he was a big name a couple years ago. He really was when he was coming through. Some people, well, most people favoured him over Tyson Fury, but since then he's he's really let himself down, and I don't really think it's his fault. But, you know, he's he's he's, he's diminishing almost you know, as the time goes on, like, beating Price now doesn't really do much for you, I believe, anymore, because he's been beaten a few times now, so for me, um, as much as I think it would be a decent fight, and, you know, he'd be the same sort of size as Tyson Fury, for me, I think I'd probably swerve that if I was Tyson, but I think he would win it, I think he'd win it quite easy as well, I mean, if he if he stays away from Price's big right hand for two or three rounds, Price is going to be blowing like hell, and providing that Tyson Fury can show up in good shape, then I'm sure that he could cruise to a quite easy points win, or to be honest, probably a stoppage mid to late rounds, if I'm honest, um... 
Right, let's look just just here, Ayers. Um, I'm just looking at the the top few fighters that I'd like to possibly see Tyson Fury return against, and we've got to be very realistic here. Um, I'm going to just read out kind of a top ten here: Joshua Povetkin, Wilder, Ortiz, Tony Bellew. That fight will never happen, by the way. Pulev. I think that's a bit risky. Joseph Parker, that won't happen. Dominic Brazil, a bit risky. Uh, Big Baby Miller, that's that's a fight that I think would be quite interesting, but maybe a bit risky. Again, I don't want to see him take a massive risk in his first fight back. There's Dillian White on here. Um, there's a guy that I'm liking the look of, actually, and he's ranked quite highly now. A guy from Poland, but he lives in Brooklyn, New York. He's 16-0 and with 13 knockouts. He just recently beat Arta Spilka, and his name is Adam Kalnaki. That would be a, quite a good fight for me. Um, then, obviously, you've got Christian Hammer. Charles Martin, I think that's... I mean, again, who needs him, to be completely honest? He can punch as well. Um, obviously, a southpaw. Um, Johan Duapas, he's got no value. Lucas Brown, I think that, that could be the perfect matchup, guys. I know they're talking about Dillian White fighting Lucas Brown, and that's very soon to be done by all accounts. But what's your thoughts on that one? Lucas Brown, Tyson Fury, is that too hard of a fight for Tyson? I like it. Uh, I wouldn't have it now. I have have one more fight before fighting Lucas Brown. Yeah, so who would you throw him in there with against in in the first fight? I don't know, Duapas obviously, you know, he's been in there, he's, he's he's got four losses, two of them by knockout, most recently to Povetkin, that was in December 2016, he lost to Tepper on points, he got knocked out by Wilder in 11 rounds, I think he's a little bit, uh, he's a little bit of a tough guy I suppose, Duapas, but since losing to Povetkin, he hasn't really beaten anybody, so... I don't know, he just doesn't really have that value, and if you don't knock him out, then it can go against you a little bit. Um, also, what's your thoughts on this one, Ayers? This could be quite a good fight as well. Ajit Kabayel, the guy that beat Derek Chisora. That I quite like. Obviously, he's an unbeaten guy. Ajit Kabayel's from Germany, 17-0 with 12 knockouts. Young guy, you know, he did a, he did a right job on Derek Chisora, if we're being honest. I quite like that as well. Um, for me... I'm not saying these guys are the biggest names and it's going to sell the most tickets, but the Lucas Brown fight, I think Lucas Brown is made for Tyson Fury stylistically. He's very green, I think, Lucas Brown. He can have a fight, and if Tyson Fury can put him behind a jab, then I think that's an easy, easy night for him. And I really like Lucas Brown. Um, so apologies if you if you listen to this, Lucas. You know, i got nothing but love for you, my friend, and I hope that you get that fight. Um, Ajit Kabayel, he can move, but I think that that's, uh, you know, that's a decent fight for Tyson Fury. Also, he'd pick up a strap right away, which would be the, the European um, heavyweight title. Um, the other guys I'm looking at, Bermain Stavern, I don't think so. Um, Eric Molina, I don't think anybody's going to want him back in a ring in the United Kingdom. Um... Yeah, maybe Brian Jennings, maybe. That's a that's a maybe, I'm not too sure. Um, I don't know, but for me, the top two, the top two I'd like to see him in with is Lucas Brown, which isn't going to happen because it's going to be um, Dillian White getting that fight, I think. And after that, I'd probably go with Ajit Kabayel, but I'm not quite sure if he can jump straight into a European title fight in his first fight back. I'm not 100% sure on that, but those are the guys that I would like to see him fight if that can be done. In a, like I say, it's a bit of a fantasy, this little segment here. Um, anything else you want to add to that at all, Ayers, before we welcome guest two? Um, no, that's it. I think Caballero will be a very good... I think Caballero will be a good fight. I'd like to see that. 
Yeah, hopefully one of them gets made. Hopefully, it's it's against somebody that we know. But the one, uh, the one thing that that we have to hold as as first and foremost in this in this uh, this this particular topic is we do want to see the big man back in the ring, and we'd like him to be able to capture the form that he was in when he went out to Dusseldorf and did a real job on the reigning champion for um, I think it was close to a decade in in Vladimir Klitschko so we do want to see Tyson Fury back in the ring and back to his best first and foremost and that really wraps up all the talking there like I say we've talked about the the prospects of the year we've talked about the craziest moments of 2017 and we've also talked about Tyson Fury's next potential opponent remember there's still time to get um, get your get your answers if you like or your opinions on on um, on on his next opponent because the fight hasn't been announced yet and I don't think it will be announced this time next week when we do another podcast remember if there's anything that you'd like us to discuss just at us on twitter just go on twitter type in at box hard podcast you know if there's any uh, su- suggestions opinions anything that you want to add maybe you just want to shout out that's absolutely fine at box hard podcast remember just before we wrap up the show there's one last thing to do and that of course is to welcome guest number two Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the unbeaten light heavyweight prospect and the current WBA international champion, Mr. Joe Fournier. Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, it's always a pleasure, my man. It's always a pleasure. So, Joe, we last spoke just after your win on the Hay Undercard back in May 2016, a long time ago, obviously. Now, I just want to go back in time slightly, Joe. Um, You know, May 2016, you knocked out uh, Bella Duhaz. Obviously, um, you fought again the month after in Belgium against Mustafa Mustafa Stini, apologies, in which you you won that fight, but... um, you know, since then it's it's been ruled a no contest due to you supposedly yeah. failing a drugs test. Please just clear that up because a lot of people obviously are very quick to jump the gun with accusations. What exactly happened there, Joe? No, so basically uh, I was taking like a green tea supplement that uh, wasn't on any ban list. None of the ingredients was on any ban list. Pretty straightforward uh, because I actually went back after the over two fight and trained in Miami. So by the time the jet lag. By the time I was sparring in the evenings, I could just barely keep my eyes open. So uh, the fight was at a cruiserweight, so I didn't need to lose any weight or cut weight or anything And because uh, I just fought it uh, 79 kilo in, in the O2. So I, only, I actually signed that fight way before the O2 fight was signed. So that's why I fought so close back-to-back. I wanted to honor my commitment. Anyhow, so... Um, my coach was like, yeah, here, take this green tea supplement. Uh, it's basically green tea and ginseng and all that stuff called Perfect Shape. And he said it will just kind of keep you up later on in the day. I said, all right, cool, took it. No, we, we Googled it, checked it all out, the ingredients, all sealed packages. And then um, I took it after the fight. I said, peeing a cup, peeing a cup. I didn't have to take a drug test, by the way. It wasn't for a, a fight and it wasn't my jurisdiction at all, so I could have said, fuck off. But I've got nothing to hide. I've capped in England. I've never felt a drug test in my life, so didn't need to start now. Anyway, I peed in the cup, and then they tell me, oh, by the way, you know, you, you, you failed the test. I go, impossible. Test it again. They test it again. They go, yeah, you, you failed. So my lawyer in Belgium, I had a lawyer in Belgium, some guy that promoter recommended. I said, look, what's it? He goes, mate, it's a, it's a sub-school subrutamine. Um, it's been seen in like green coffee drinks or whatever else. He goes, it's, it's not high on the ban list, but you know, you're, you're seeing 
because you didn't get paid very much as an amateur in Belgium, so you don't really need to even defend it. So I don't defend it. I go, all right, wherever it is, he said it's just a local band. Anyway, lo and behold, in Belgium, it's a court, so it's not a governing body or a boxing committee. It's like the legal court. So then they banned you. They banned me globally, which my lawyer said they wouldn't. So I said, okay. I said, well, that's not what happened. He goes, well, you know, you know, sorry, I made a mistake. So I said, okay, fine. So I defend it. So we went and defended it. And uh, we looked at my dietary, uh, food diary, you know, when you train, you write down what you've been eating. And the only thing that was different was this supplement. So we ordered the supplement to Antwerp, to the Wilder lab. We had it tested from, like, from totally sealed package. And we proved that it was a contaminated substance. And the manufacturer in Miami that I sued um, is um, had basically put stuff in it. It was contaminated, essentially. So we proved it. We had the appeal. The water representative said, look, we've seen Mr. Fournier is not a cheat. He didn't, it didn't aid him in any way. He actually came in much, too, way too underweight for the cruiserweight. You know, I weighed in at uh, 83 kilos. And we don't think he's achieved it in any way. And the maximum ban he should get, because it was in his system, in fairness, is, is three months. But anyway, the maximum ban for a contaminated substance, if you can prove that I took it on purpose, is 18 months. But because it was a court case, um, not a sports case, they basically reduced it by six months and said 18 months. But then all the governing bodies, WBC, WBA, were like, what? This is bullshit. It should have never happened. He's proved his innocence. It's been proven. It's in script. It's in writing. And so they basically didn't recognize the ban. And so hence, I've been allowed to fight. And I've been tested several times since. I was tested the night of the fight. And, uh, and that's the end of it. So how it works in boxing is each individual commission decides whether they, you know, they can want to commission a fight or not. And so all the other commissions, like, and I'm fighting in the States again in March. It's the American commission, you know what I mean? So the Belgians, even the Belgians wrote a letter saying that I'm allowed to fight, but for whatever, some reason, they did a U-turn on that. So essentially, I didn't do anything wrong. I proved my innocence. It's in writing. And everyone except, except the Belgian boxing board, uh, no, the, not even the, the Belgian boxing board said I could fight. It's the Belgian courts. And listen, man, I could have taken it to cast the European court, but I'm not going to spend another 50 grand when I can fight anyway. So it proved it was a farce. It proved I got no performance enhancing um, uh, out of it. And there's no issue. So I don't know why everyone's complaining. The WBC, Marisha Suleiman, wrote a letter saying there's no way in the world that they haven't got benefit from that. The WADA said there's no way in the world I got benefit from that and I was innocent and they're the World Anti-Doping Association. But then they're not going to have a war with one of their subsidiaries, Nardo Flanders. So they just said, look, whatever. And listen, boxing for me is fun. I'm a businessman. You feel me? So as long as I can fight and I enjoy myself and I'm not in the pub drinking, I'm cool. So everyone else has no issue with it except Belgian legal system. So I'm, that's the only place I'm banned. Yeah, I'm glad that you've cleared that up because I actually didn't know all of that. And obviously, you know, these these even though they've extended the Twitter thing to to 280 characters, you couldn't fit all that in there. So, yeah, that's yeah. um, you know, a lot of people obviously jumped the gun, like I say. And obviously, um, yeah. they originally banned you till like 2020 or something crazy like that, didn't yeah. they? And then they went back on it. Like you gotta remember, but, yeah, you gotta remember, like something like like uh. 
a four-year ban for a substance like subrutamine that is not even a performance-enhancing drug. It's just their mental. It's the Belgians, you know. I know, I know there's case studies of a Belgian fighter getting knocked out. And so because he got knocked out, he went to hospital, right, because he couldn't see straight. And then because he missed his test, they banned him for four years. True story. So they're unreasonable. It's not my hometown. I know nobody there. I fought on a favor of a show because I sponsored one of the fighters. They weren't selling enough tickets. They do want to fight. It was a super simple journeyman. It was at a, it was a weight above, and I just said, look, it was just meant to be like I go, I show up, I take some pictures, and we move on. And so I had no reason to cheat. There was no upside in being too light for the fight, and actually ended up turning out being a lot more hassle than it's worth. But luckily, there's some people with common sense in boxing that have no issue with me fighting. Yeah, good, good. It's good to, like I say, hear you explain that and kind of put that chapter behind you, so to speak. Um, yeah, obviously, absolutely. you fought you fought again four times in the same year um, as that. Yeah, you know, I just had easy. Yeah, I had easy tune up fights, man. Just you know, you know, it's like I, yeah, mean, yeah. I, I fight, I fight because I enjoy it, you know. And so, obviously, whether I'm fighting a guy that's a world champion or I'm fighting a guy that's one in ten, I don't really care. I don't look. I just, you know, I sign up, I fight, I enjoy it, it's good fun, and I move on. It keeps me out of the pub, it keeps me doing things I shouldn't be doing, and it also focuses my body and mind to my main business, and, you know, essentially that, so I just wanted to keep fighting, you know, I would manage to fight in pubs in Camden, it's no big deal to me, as long as I'm fighting somewhere. No, absolutely, absolutely. Like I say, four fights there, you won all those by knockout, and it was looking like you weren't going to be having a fight throughout the whole year of 2017, because obviously you didn't fight yeah. till late on in December, which I'll get onto in just a moment. How were you coping, yeah. by the way, Joe? Like you say, you've got a lot going on outside the ring, but not fighting for almost a year to the day compared to your usual, usual schedule, fighting every two, three, yeah. four months. You obviously kept yourself yeah. in good shape, though, while you were out. Well, you know, I uh, David uh, brought in Ishmael Salas, and um, uh, you know, and and like for me, I'm always learning. I'm always trying to get better. You know, my and and Ishmael was like, yo, I love your attitude. I love your training and your work ethic. You know, I want to work with you, which was super kind of him. You know, having had so many superstars and world champions, and at the end of the day, um, I kind of you know took it as a as a, as a blessing. And worked with him, and because he has a very different style to my, um, he has a very different style to Dino Spencer, my other coach. It was super fun, and uh, I, um, I, I stuck with it, you know, and that kind of gave me the motivation to keep training. He saw something in me, and you got to remember something. Like a lot of people like to say he should, he get knocked out with this guy, that guy. But why is someone like Ismail Salas, who I ain't paid him a dime, trained me for the last? you know, four or five months. It's because he thinks I can do something in the sport, right? I'm not saying I can, but that's just his opinion. So I enjoyed his training. I was getting to train in the gym with amazing fighters like, you know, Jorge Linares, Joe Joyce, David Hay. And um, it really kind of, even though I wasn't fighting, it really was a frustrating period, but it was also an enjoyable period in the sense that, uh, in the sense that I could keep going, you know? Like I had something, I had a bit of a goal, they were all around me telling me, listen, you'll be fighting again soon. And uh, all of that just made a really, like, nice nice difference to, you know, what I was trying to achieve as a boxer and also what I was trying to achieve as a, um, as a person. So, stayed in good nick. Not as good as I'd like to be. You know what it's like. It's a big difference, lacing up the boots, putting them on the gum shield and fighting in front of people. But I stayed in the best nick I could. 
in the meantime. So I actually never stopped training for this last uh, last year of 2017, but I also wasn't as in amazing shape as I could have been going into my last fight in fairness. And I want to talk about that fight now. Talk us through it, Joe. How did it first come about? I know that you had, you know, really short notice. I know that it was for your first title as a pro, the WBA international title. Talk us through how it all came about in the beginning. To be honest, you had no intention of fighting. I went to Miami on holiday, uh, to my house. I hadn't been there since May, so I was just going on a little vacation. I was going to stay out there and, you know, just have a good time. So I was out enjoying the art shows, Art Basel, you know, going out on the boat, all the fun things that I do. But I was obviously in the gym because I don't get to see Dino Spencer a lot at the Fifth Street Gym. So I was in the gym with him every day. One of my training uh, training uh, partners, Daniele Toretta, was fighting leading up in the middle of December. So I was in the gym with him. And we worked out, basically, but I was still having fun. And then the promoter that I did my debut on had his, his local boy, Fighter. And he said, listen, one of my local kids is fighting on the show. His opponents pulled out. And it was for the international WBA belt. So, you know, I was like, okay, he said, and I'm, at that point, I'm about 190 pounds, you know, so I'm a bit heavy 10 days before the fight. And he goes, uh, do you have any 190 pounds with a decent record? He goes, look, I got Joe here. You remember him? You fought out there. He goes, yeah, I know Joe. He goes, well, does he want the fight? So, you know, calls me up. He goes, look, the promoter's offered you this huge opportunity. Well, first, you've got to get it sanctioned. But if it does get sanctioned, you want to I said, listen, let me call David. You know, he's the promoter. I've got to check with him first. I called David. David, look, he says, hey, man, you're 35, you're 35 next year. You've, you know, you've never had an opportunity like this. And he goes, a lot of the times in boxing, you've got to take these last-minute fights to propel you to win or lose. He goes, you know, you've got nothing to lose anyway. You're only going to fight for another year, 18 months. And, um, and essentially, like, what have you got to lose? And I thought, you know what? At the end of the day, he's got two arms, two legs, and a head. And as long as I can make the weight, why not? I called Dean about it. Do you think we can make weight? He said, yes. So then we basically did a mini camp for like eight days, flew out there, made the weight, and that was it. And how many rounds did the fight go? Obviously, it's, it's, it's hard to catch any footage online. I've tried my best, can't get anything. Um, yeah, just yeah, talk yeah. us through the actual was... fight itself, Joe. To be honest with you, he was sharp. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I wasn't expecting it. I've never fought a southpaw before. So I wasn't used to, uh, I, did, I did two sparring sessions with a southpaw uh, in Miami, and that was it. And so, obviously, he's comfortable with me coming at him. I was kind of like struggling with his jab. He kind of flicked it out from his hip, similar to Joe Calzaghe used to do, you know, like really flicky. He didn't hurt, but he was still hitting you in the face with 10-ounce gloves on. So I was kind of not doing very well. The first couple of rounds, I didn't really lay a glove on the guy. Third round... A bit more even, but I probably lost it too. Fourth round, I was puffing out my ass, not going to lie. <laughs> and the fifth round, he caught me with a couple of good shots. I kind of went back to my ropes, and I just thought, you know what? Let's just have it, because if I'm, if I'm going out, I'm going out in style. We kind of had a, it felt like 10 minutes, but it was probably a 30-second exchange where I just put my chin down and just threw punches back at him on my ropes. And I ended up catching him on the top of the head with a right hand. Not in a knockout area, but literally on the top of the head. As, I've, as he slipped, I've caught him. And he kind of stumbled him back for the first time in the fight. And it gave me a bit of a renewed confidence. And my energy was super low. You know, you don't spar all the time. You're, gonna, uh, you're, you're not going to have that, that fitness for a fight, as you know all the fighters know. So uh, 
come out of the sixth round, I had a bit more pep in my step, and he kind of, you know, I want, as you know, my, my main thing is I'm very powerful. So if I do catch you, it's going to hurt. And I, I, I could see his whole attitude, his body language in the corner, it changed after that one shot. And um, sixth round, he was throwing a lot less punches. He was being a lot more cautious. So I probably nicked that one. And then... I was going a lot more to the body, so it slowed him down. The seventh round, I had a little flurry where I hit him with an uppercut, two body shots of uppercut. And I went back and Coach Lewis, my number two guy, he said, listen, man, you don't like it down there. He goes, stop trying to headhunt. Just work the body. He goes, does he hurt? I said, listen, he doesn't hurt. I can take his punches clean. He said, well, just take what you got to take, but land yours and land them downstairs. And I ended up dropping him. So I had double left hook to the body for a big right hand to the body. He went down. I went down to the, I went back back to my neutral corner like a muppet because of the, you know the adrenaline. So I gave him a couple extra seconds. On the five count, he went to get up, and I thought, oh, here we go, because I didn't know physically if I could do four more rounds. You know, it's twelve round fight, so it seemed like forever. And then uh, as he went up to get up on the, on the five, as soon as he went to stand up, he just started screaming, rolling around the floor, and I guess it, that that pain, you know, must have kicked in. It takes a few seconds when you when you get hurt to the body, and then he just started squealing on the floor. And I looked around; it was the eeriest thing because I had no fans there, so no one was clapping. It was like you could have literally heard a penny drop. And I looked around, and my coach was like, "You won! Take your gloves off." I was like, "What?" And then he made you just jump to the ring, take me up, took my gloves off. No one clapped, and you could just see the promoter's face because obviously they thought it was going to be an easy win for their boy because he was a hometown hero, and then I basically beat him, and I couldn't believe it. And I called David, because I had you on, mate. Like, he was a bit nervous. I could tell you he didn't feel confident after the fact. I won. He goes, shut up. I said, no, I won. He goes, shut up. I go, no, I won. He goes, what round? I said, hey, mate, how the fuck did you get to the eighth round? Because <laughs> he didn't probably believe I could go, cause, you know, go that far. I don't like, you know, I've never been to the eighth round. I don't think I've ever, I sparred eight rounds probably ten times in my life. So to go to the eighth round, um, you know, because I only fight, you know, I've only had one ten rounder in my life. So anyway, yeah. that no, was that's, that. Uh, so uh, that's cool, history. Yeah. And you know what? I didn't believe it. So when people reply on Twitter, "You're shit. You don't know nothing," I'm like, bro, I'm not saying I'm good. I'm just stating a fact. I didn't know. I like, what do you want me to do? Say I didn't win the belt when I did? Or do you want me to lie and say, oh, I'm not going around saying I knew I was going to kill the guy. I'm saying. Fuck, it may have been a fluke. Wherever it is, but still won. And like Tony Bellew beating Hay was a fluke, but he still won. Yeah. You, no, you, you get what I'm saying? So I'm not trying to big myself up saying, yeah, I'll smash fucking Kovalev tomorrow, Andre Ward, you're running scared. No. I'm just a dude having a good time, fighting when I can get a fight, dealing with whatever politics are in boxing, because I do know a lot of people hate the fact that I fight. And just like, I'm not cussing, I'm not telling... One day I'll tell the truth about all this business, about who meddled in my shit and who's making it really difficult for me, you know. But there's a lot of politics behind the scenes that, you know, that are happened, that have happened. But you know what? It's business, it's life, and I take it on the chin, and you win some, you lose some. And at the end of the day, on this particular occasion, I won. And people say, you should fight Anthony Yard. Listen, cool, man. I like Anthony Yard. I'm a fan of his. I think he's a top bloke. If he said, Joe, let us come on, let's have a fight, why do I need to cuff the guy on, on, on the internet or hate him? All right, we lace up the gloves, you have a fight. 
if he knocks me out, if I knock him out, like, all right, cool, we fought, we still shake hands after. I, he's from London, he's my hometown. Why would I have beef with a Londoner? Do you know what I mean? Someone that said the other day, Frank Buglioni, who would win? I said, bro, you're my mate. I like Frank Buglioni. I said, I don't know who'd win, but if it ever happens, we'd shake hands after. When he fought Jose Burton, they were mates. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not this, like, I'm not trying to say I'm hard. I just do a sport that's fun that I enjoy. And I'm not trying to, like, get cuss people or I might have a bit of a banner with Callum Smith or whatever, like a bit of fun. But at the end of the day, you know, that's what it's about. It's entertainment. It's a sport. I respect the people that have got up at 6 a.m. every day their whole life for 20 years and might not be ranked as high as me. But at the end of the day, you've got, you need a bit of luck as well. And I've earned my time in other things too. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't go get born with, like, you know, 100 million quid in my bank account. I grew up in Hounslow. And I worked in the curry house at £1.30 an hour, my youth at 13. So I've earned my stripes, bro. Like, it's boxing. It's fun. It's a sport. We try. I will not run scared from any fighter in the world. And I'm not scared of anyone because I've had way more street fights, you know, with way tougher people than that get in the ring. But also in the same sense, I'm not saying I'm better than anyone. I'm just as good as me. And that's my, my challenge is against me, my brain, my life, my depression, my positivity, my issues, my insecurities. I fight against me every day, bro. So I'm not trying to, like, shock the boxing world or piss anyone off. The rankings came out. I got the message from my brother uh, who'd been checking them every day. I didn't know where I was going to be ranked. I didn't ask to be ranked anywhere. You know, people say, like, oh, yeah, you paid for it. You bought the belt. Bro, you know how much money a WBA make of Klitschko Joshua? Way more than I can ever produce as a fighter. So trust me, I ain't that rich to be buying my way into, like, boxing, you know, stardom. I'm just doing what I'm doing and trying my best and, you know, like, yeah, could I have liked to, you know, have done it on home soil at the O2 Arena? Cool. But listen, when I fought Bella Juhas at the O2 Arena, everyone else thought I was going to lose. I was the underdog at the bookies. And I knocked him in two rounds and people never talk about that. Well, I did that on TV. Well, I can't be that shit, can I? Because he'd won his last three fights. I never knew him. And Dave had to okay the opponents. It wasn't even up to me. Do you know what I mean? Alright, I might not be under reward, but also I ain't a novice, as some people are saying either, because I've sparred with Chris Eubank Jr., I've sparred Browns with James DeGale, and if I was shit, I wouldn't even be in a ring, would I? No, of course not, of course not. But I just want to back if I was shit, they would come out and say he's shit too, you know what I'm saying? No, I know, I know, of course, I know, I know. I just want to backtrack a tiny bit just to let people, you know, just to keep people up with what's going on here. Obviously, since winning, you've now been ranked 11th in the WBA. Obviously, retired yesterday. Oh, wicked. Okay, so 10. Brilliant, brilliant. So, obviously, that's for obviously winning a, a regional title mandatory that they have to rank it's you in the, the top 15. the title they have outside the world title. And and like I say, you've been you've been placed at eleven. It's now ten. And like like you were saying, you've been criticised by a bunch of other boxers who believe, like you said, that you shouldn't be ranked, etc., etc. At the end of the day, the way I see it, whether somebody thinks you're good enough, you know, or, or not to be ranked, you won the title, and that automatically earns you a ranking. There was no bribery. There was no other, you know, outlandish claim that like I'm seeing on Twitter. You simply won a fight. That's the way I see yeah. it. Joe. 
against a guy with 22 wins, 16 knockouts, and whatever it was, like four or six losses maybe. He ain't no mud. And you've got to remember something. This is the, people, the thing that people don't understand about boxing. Is I'm a scout because I'm undefeated, one. And two, if that kid wins, he makes way more money than anyone could have ever paid him to lose. You feel me? Because now he's the international champion. He's top ten. He goes and fights uh, Badu Jack for the world title, which he could do at number ten. And he's making hundreds of thousands of pounds, right? So anyone that I go in the ring with trying to beat me, dude, like, there's no bones about it. And people say things like, you paid him to lose. Are you stupid? Like, the internet, the WhatsApp, like, I'm dumb enough to try and ever be smart here. Like, and, like, I'm not a, I'm not a retard, nor, remember, I don't fight for the money and I don't fight for the fame. Do I think I could beat Andre Ward tomorrow? No. But will I have a fight with him in Vegas? And would it be a dream come true? Sure. So why am I doing it? I'm doing it for myself. So why would I cheat myself? Do you, do, you get, do you get that point I'm making? Like, why would I try and cheat myself just what, so I'm 9-0 instead of 8-0? Or 10-0 instead of 9-0? Makes no fucking difference to me, dude. What care I care about is my family, my friends, and my health. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree with that. I know you've got to say this for, for, for some of those critics out there. Um, yeah. you, said, you said, Joe, that you're going to be fighting next. Did you say about March time in, in the United States? Yeah, so we're trying to work on a deal. Will uh, that be a defense? Yeah, that'll be a defense, because I've got to defend it every 120 days now. So we're trying to work on a deal and a promotion with the Hard Rock Casinos. So um, I'll know a bit more about that. Listen, you know, the promotion side. This is another thing everyone needs to understand. I do not pick any of my fighters. David Hay is my promoter. Not David personally, but Haymaker Ringstar is my promotion company. I fight on their shows or shows they allow me to fight on. I can't choose who I fight or when I fight. But from what I understand, there's a show in the Hydro Casino in the United States that they're working on for me to defend the belt in March. Apparently, a very, very, very good prospect, undefeated guy who's 15, 16, 17, 18, you know, something like that. I don't know who he is, but they're working on an opponent in and around that, that, that record and in and around that time. I don't know the details yet, nor do I care. I just had Christmas, New Year's. I'm back in the gym. I was back in the gym. New Year's Eve, I'm training hard, and whoever it is, I'll know more close to the time, and I'll do my best against him like I do win or lose, you know? And as as you obviously very well know, you've fought most of your most of your fights in another continent, you know, like this next one's going to yeah. be in the United States, most of your fights have been in the Dominican Republic. Doing that brings you opponents that are not well known by UK fans, obviously. Do you know at this stage when you, when or if you'll be fighting somebody soon, that we, you know, that we're well aware of, so to speak. This is the thing about, like, boxing for me, is I'm fighting in the UK on June the 15th, uh, either, uh, either at the O2, one of the London venues, O2, York, or wherever it may be. So that I know I've agreed that with Haymaker, so that'll be my next UK fight, June the 15th. Wicked. There's brilliant fighters like Anthony Yard, like uh, Frank Buglioni, like Josea Burton, like... Um, Miles Shinquin. Three, three. I don't... I said brilliant fighters, okay? Oh. Like someone that's 14 and 3 isn't a brilliant fighter, clearly, because he's lost three times. Moving on with my, my point, is they're great fighters, but also, the only time I'd seen two top-ranked fighters fight each other at this early stage in their career was uh, O'Hara Davis against uh, Taylor. Right, and Haro Davis got a couple hundred grand. Uh, Josh Taylor probably got wherever he got, you know, or whatever the figure is. Now, would me against Frank Buglioni generate 200 grand each? Probably not. So why would he fight me? Why would I fight him? 
Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Although I am higher ranked, they're more famous in this country from a boxing standpoint. So it would make more sense if we fought each other at 15, 16, 17 and up. Correct? Like Rocky Fielding, Callum Smith type fight where it's a grudge match, it's London. From a promotion standpoint. So I'm not on their radar. They're not on my radar. And I'll continue to fight whoever. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not talking from my opinion. This is a promotion's opinion. And this is what I understand. And this is what I hear. Do you know what I mean? Like Joe Joyce beat Ian Lewinson, who's a great British fighter in his debut fight. And that's huge. People still talk shit. So what I'm saying is you can never keep everyone happy. So when will I fight a British fighter that everyone knows? I'll fight him when there's a reason to fight him. And I'll fight him when David Hay says, I want you to fight Anthony Yard, or I want you to fight Frank Mugliano, or I want you to fight whoever it may be. Because once they tell me that, I'm fighting them. It's done. It's a done deal. I don't choose my opponents, and I've never once, you can ask David next time you speak, I've never once said no to any opponent. Did I fancy Bella Duhas in my third fight? The cruiserweight come down to light heavy who had three win win streak that had a much better economy. I'd rather had an easy fight, but I trained solidly for 12 weeks like it was a 12 rounder and I did the job. You know what I mean? You can take the good, you can take the bad. At the end of the day, I'm going to fight whoever they tell me. Going back to Miles Shinklin, he tried to like talk some shit on Twitter just to tell the fans. I don't know who this guy is. He has like minus personality. He has minus money. He has minus record. He has minus ranking. Why would I ever fight a guy? Like, what? Like, if I fight him, he gets famous. Why would I need him? He's trying to talk shit to me. He just lost. Bro, you got to beat... you got to win some fights, like, in a row before you start... Like, he's like every other fight he's won in the last four fights. Listen, you might say, oh, his opponents were better than yours. But were they? Maybe they were. Maybe they weren't. I know you would not beat the guy I just beat. And I don't need to fight him. He's irrelevant to me. He's a nobody. The only thing that I think was sweet about him is he has a nice family, and I'm not going to disrespect him because he's a father. And I do respect family, and I'm an honourable man. But, dude, I don't pick on you. Why are you picking on me for? I don't even know your name. And now you're just trying to creep on... Into, I don't even use Twitter. You want to hit me, hit me on Instagram, and I'll destroy you. But, like, you just need to tweet because you've got some nothing to do. Just shut up, man. Go back to the gym, like, lick your wounds, and fight some bum so you can get your confidence back before you start calling me out. Joey, let me throw a name at you then, because I uh, don't want to go off topic so much here. Yeah. But obviously, Miles Shinquin just lost to Jake Ball. Jake Ball yeah. is the holder of the WBA Intercontinental title. Is that a yeah. fight that you know you think's a good one for yourself? Okay, soon? okay. So he's number fourteen. I'm number eleven. Why would I fight? I don't go up in ranking if I fight someone beneath me. Right. Okay. So, so you're looking at people that are ranked above you. Is that right? Well, I'm ranked above me. Or there needs to be a good reason for me to fight them. Do you know what I mean? Like, Jake Ball's a six foot four southpaw. Yeah. I've only ever fought one yeah. southpaw in my life. I've just come off a 10 day notice fight. Why would I pick a six foot four southpaw? I'd rather a heavy handed, hard punching, kind of like guy the same height as me where we can get in a bit of a scrap because that's what I do best. I've got a good chin, I can punch. Rather than some guy that I have very little experience fighting that style. Now, if yeah. Jake Ball's side, sent a big... Then people say to me, oh, you don't need the money. Bro, I might not need the money, but I know what I'm worth. I wouldn't give you a tenner and give you an ask for free quid. I'm still 11 and 0. Uh, sorry, 10 and 0. I'm still undefeated. It's worth something to me. I, I've spent a lot of time and money into building my career, and I'm not trying to wait for a big payday. I could retire tomorrow. It'd make no difference to me. When I'm bored of this, I'll retire. Jake Ball, I know nothing about him until he came up the other day, as, uh, uh, I saw him in the ranking. I'm sure he's a super nice guy. He was respectful on Twitter saying, let's do the deal. I liked it when he said, let's do the deal, which means I'm not opposed to that. If there's a deal to be made, David, let's make a deal. 
uh, David and Eddie, you know, let's do the deal. But there needs to be a super good reason if it's not improving my ranking or if it's not going to be a fight that's super suited for me. Basic maths, isn't it? And I read an article online, Joe, that you originally set out just to have one fight as a pro. And if that's true, obviously you're now, um, you know, you, you've had a bunch of fights and now winning every fight by knockout. Where does the journey end from this point? Your goal was to win one fight. Now you've got a belt. What's the new goal? Dude, when I won the belt, I went back home to my hotel. I had two beers at the bar in the hotel. I had no one to celebrate with. I went back home and I thought, you know what? I think I've had enough. Because, you know, all the fighters that are out there, whether they're 1-0 or 10-1, it's nerve-wracking, right? You got like you start, you know, you start to go through the fight in your head, whether it, wherever you're fighting, whether it's in front of the O2 or in your, in your in your back garden, and you know, it's stressful. And then in my life, I risk millions and millions of pounds every day, you know, uh, you know, running my companies. So it's like had that to that plus, you know, if you have a girlfriend, luckily I haven't had a girlfriend. You know, I don't say luckily I want to have a wife and a family one day, but you know, add that to the stress. So it's a stressful business. And when I'm not doing it for the money and I'm not doing it to win anything, you know, I did it for one fight, I did think, man, maybe I should just wrap it up now. But actually the next morning I woke up, man, I'm the champ. I opened up the case. I have this belt for life now. It goes up in my house. And I thought, whatever anyone says I have it, my grandchildren will be proud of me. My children will be proud of me hopefully one day. And I need to defend it out of pride, out of respect for myself. And I said to my mates, look, I'm going to fight. Only five people knew I was fine. I said, look, if I'm going to fight, if I lose, I'm going to retire. And that was actually what I said to everyone before I fought. Whether after the fact that would have happened, I don't know. But I said, if I lose, I will retire. I won. And so now we're going to see, you know, how far the journey takes me. I've agreed to two more fights, one in the States and one in London. And um, if I win those, you know, who knows where the journey could end, you know, like... Um, uh, I'm just going to do whatever David... David's been my mentor from the very beginning. He's shown me respect when no one else has. So, same with Dino Spencer, same with Salas. And um, I'm just going to, you know, honor them the best way I can. I'm going to try and, you know, keep going. Whether it's a year, two years, three years, whether it's one more fight, I don't know, you know. Um, but let's see, man, you know. I would just like people to understand just the basic thing, which is I do this for myself. I do this to inspire other people. Where I get like five or ten haters, I get thousands of messages on my Instagram every single week of people, how I inspired them, how I they got up on their sofa, they started to fight now, how they wish they'd continued boxing. So, you know, I'm doing something positive, something right. I'm not running around like a prick thinking I'm better than everyone. I'm just fighting my own battle, do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Coming down to the last couple of questions now, Joe, um, this is a question that I only ever ask you. Um, aside from boxing... Everybody mm -hmm. knows that you're a successful entrepreneur. How are things going on that side of your life? What's going on right now? Business is great. Uh, thank you very much. I'm opening a new club in London, doing an, another club in uh, in Stad, the ski resort, next year. Um, I've got a, my funds doing great. All the stock stock trading has been fantastic this year for us, touch wood. Um, and I've just signed a TV show with Channel 5. So I'm doing a big uh, philanthropic TV show, giving back to communities, giving back to charities, and um, really trying to, you know, like, you know, thank God that it's been a good year and, and it's been a good, uh, it's been a good, um, it's been a good streak. So I think it's only fair, you know, you can't keep taking from society and from Earth and from from the universe. You got to give back to it and improve it. So obviously, I have my foundation where I support grassroots, um, grassroots sport in my borough of Hounslow. 
Uh, I'm going to now be supporting uh, some some charities in the, in Hackney and a, and a few other uh, a few other areas around London and maybe further afield. If business keeps going well and I can afford it and I can keep keep giving back, you know. Oh, brilliant, man, brilliant. Any New Year's resolutions that you've took up this year or you don't really get involved in that kind of thing? I don't really, but I think this year I just really want to, like, super be positive, like, even more than I usually am. I will not, I'm not going to really rise to any negativity. I feel like, negati- you know, honey catches the bees, as they say. Anyone that really, like, is negative, I'm kind of, like, going to, you know, try and avoid it and just give them back positivity. Like I said, when Miles Shinkwin was talking trash, I did say, I applaud you for your great family, and I respect that, you know. So I'm always going to try and show people that we don't need to be mad at each other. I know it's one thing getting in the zone in the ring, but it's another thing outside conducting yourself as a positive, respectful human being. You know, people don't know that behind the scenes when I was messing around calling out Callum Smith, me and Paul Smith are good friends and we talk all the time and we talk about business. So it was all tongue-in-cheek and and, um, and I, this year I'm just going to kill everyone with, with love. <laughs> anything that you want to say just before we let you go at all, Joe? Anything, last couple of words? If you don't mind, if you guys want to follow my journey and my story, my Instagram is Joe Fournier Club. Uh, obviously, I support Joey in this amazing podcast. He's always been there from the beginning. And so if you want to support anything I'm doing, uh, feel free to follow. And I can't wait to fight in London. <clears throat> and hopefully against the name you guys will know or recognize. And if not, I hope you support me anyway. And uh, let's see how far I can go. Uh, and, uh, yeah, good luck. Have a successful 2018, everyone. Excellent. Well said. All right, listen, Joe, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for your time. Happy New Year, and we'll catch up again sometime soon. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Take care, Joey. Okay, and this wraps up episode 116 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I, as Sumra, has been I, as Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests, two newly crowned champions, the IBF super middleweight world champion, Caleb Truax, and the multi-millionaire businessman turned WBA international champion, Mr. Joe Fournier. Once again, the biggest thanks of all goes out to the listeners for tuning in once again this week. We'll be back next week. As always, thank you for listening and have a great weekend.